I thought we were going to push them out in a couple of days. Wow. And uh, of course, it, that didn't happen. We mm -hmm. were under Nazi occupation for almost five years. And so he rang the doorbell and the door was opened by a policeman who uh, pointed a gun at him and, uh, and said, come in. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, the, my, my dad had no choice. Mm -hmm. But then he thought, oh no, they're going to search me. They will find those uh, racing cards. And the Germans found out what they were doing and they were going to be shipped the next day to a German camp. A oh my goodness. Camp. And uh, somehow, the Lord says it's like the Lord opened the door and he was able to escape. And then he walked uh, at night. It was a mess. Yeah. He was starving. And hey, everybody, I want to welcome you to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That's why we do what we do here. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I'm your host. And I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Oh, the great stuff we gained from the previous generations and how we take it for granted. Um, how would we ever do what we do if it wasn't for the stories and the experiences of people who have set the course for us. Um, hey, when is the last time you've sat down with a elderly saint in your church or even sat down with your parents or maybe even your grandparents and listened to their stories and experiences that have shaped them? We can learn so much from them and especially see how God shaped their faith and likely during some of the very most difficult experiences in their lives. I had the honor recently to sit down and interview my parents, John and Janine Schultz, and as we sat around their comfortable little dining room table, we talked mainly about their experience of growing up in uh, Europe during World War II. Uh, I'll never forget my mom commenting during the interview uh, where she really summed up the experiences that they've had. And she said this, she said, good things came out of bad things. Wow. Since their retirement, my parents, John and Janine Schultz, reside in Tacoa, Georgia, Prior to this, they served for 38 years as missionaries in Papua, Indonesia. They have 16 grandchildren. They have 15 great-grandchildren, more to come, I'm sure. And um, they love to read. They love to study. They love especially to spend time with their family. Hey, be sure to listen to the very end of this podcast for a surprise from John Schultz. So enjoy. Let's go ahead and join that conversation now. Okay, I have been looking forward to this interview for a long time. I get to interview my parents today, John and Janine Schultz. Welcome to the Before You Quit podcast. I'm sure you've been looking forward to this as much as I have, right? Yes, yeah, we're excited. All right, Dad, you, are you excited at all? You, well, I was shaking my head, wasn't I? Which way were you shaking your head, though? <laughs> the, the positive way. <laughs> the positive way. All right, we're sitting in your beautiful little home, uh, Notre Rêve, it's called, right? Our dream home, overlooking the soccer field at the Coe Falls College. Let's, um, we're going to jump in directly. Oh, there's a cuckoo clock, so we'll, we'll be hearing that a few times during this interview won't we as long oh, as we're not depends cooking. how long yeah exactly <laughs> true true uh hey one disclaimer dad i just want you to know that uh any bad jokes i will bleep okay 
No, no, no comment. No, <laughs> no jokes. No jokes. Okay. All right. So, Dad, um, just to give context to your story, you grew up in Holland uh, during World War II, and yeah. we've we've grown up hearing stories of. Uh, you know, for example, Nazis marching down your streets. Um, what was that like for you at that age? Uh, can you can you remember specific moments that frightened you? Just tell us a little bit about what that was like growing up in that context. Uh, yeah, well, actually, when uh, I was almost 10 years old when uh, the Nazis invaded the Netherlands and Belgium mm-hmm. and France at the same time, <clears throat> and uh, knowing Dutch history from uh, from school, I thought, oh, uh, Holland has won every war so far that I thought we were going to push them out in a couple of days. And, uh, of course, that didn't happen. We Mm -hmm. were under Nazi occupation for almost five years. Wow. And And that was mostly your your early to teen, late teen teen, years. I I was almost 15 when the... When the war finished. Okay. And, you know, for this generation today, appreciating what that was like, I think that's one of the reasons a story like this is, it's important to keep repeating this, uh, you know, particularly from a teenager's perspective, that's that's yeah. the, the age you were. Um, you, you, you tell a story of how the Nazis, the Germans, got the attention of people, how they would line people up and what, what happened there. Well, uh, <clears throat> There was one incident where uh, some people of the city of Harlem, where where I grew up, uh, had killed a, a Nazi sympathizer. Okay. And so the Nazis felt that uh, they had to take that was the, the German police. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to take revenge, uh, so they uh, uh, took. Uh, I don't remember how many, but probably about uh, one or two dozen of uh, permanent, uh, prominent citizens mm-hmm. of uh, the city and lined them up in public and uh, forced people to look and then simply shot them. Wow. Just randomly. They just yeah. chose people randomly, yeah, right. anybody that they well, could from grab. the area where it had happened. Yeah. And then they burned uh, several of the houses in that uh, quarter. So that that established their their dominance there. It got people's well, attention it, it for was, sure. It was later in the war already. They they had established their their presence. Okay. In quite a convincing way, actually. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Mom, you grew up in Belgium. We, yes. We can. You both still have a little bit of an accent. And I was talking to someone the other day who knows you, and I said, "What kind of accent do you think they have?" And and they said, well, she sounds Belgium, he sounds Dutch. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you haven't lost it, apparently. Um, but you, you, you grew up in Belgium. Your dad fought in the underground again during, during the war. And you tell two stories that have been really vivid. And uh, one you told for the first time the other day about your teacher. Um, so describe what happened. Uh, talk first about your, your dad and that time where you had to carry things for him. And, Okay, so I was about uh, almost eight years old mm-hmm. when the war broke out, and uh, was interesting because we heard rumors that the Germans were going to invade Belgium, and nobody believed it. Mm-hmm. And then one more yeah, because it's, it seems unbelievable, yeah. doesn't it? I mean, you're in a normal yeah. upbringing, and so we lived in a village, and then one morning. I was in bed and I heard all that noise and I went down and all the neighbors were together and they say, well, that's it, it's true, they're, uh, uh, they, they're invading uh, Belgium. Wow. The, 
king surrendered and um, so <clears throat> one uh, we were worried about my uh, grandmother who lived in a different town she was a widow so my father says well we should go and uh, and see how she's doing mm -hmm. so uh, he had a bicycle and he put me on the bicycle and we went through the fields that's before the germans appeared in the village mm -hmm. and uh, as we were traveling there they were shooting all over the place we had to uh, stop and lie down in one of the, oh my of the fields there wow. and when we got to my uh, grandmother's house we could hear noise on the on the road they were shooting there and uh, praise the Lord, we mm -hmm. were safe. And that's the house where we used to visit her, that same house? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I have vivid memories told, yeah. visiting, visiting my great-grandmother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know, I, I was young, I thought mm -hmm. it was exciting. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, <laughs> so you weren't afraid? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I was not afraid. And, uh, and my father was very daring. He, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. he had you tell a story about when he would, uh, you know, have you carry things and... Yeah. So that he would not be caught. Yeah, well, he, he was in the underground and he worked as a coal miner. Mm -hmm. And one day he said... Uh, now, the underground is working in the resistance yes, movement. Yeah, so, we yeah. Call it yeah. so I know he's a coal miner, he's also an underground. Yeah, but, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. So one morning he said to me, oh, it was a vacation. Say, why don't you come and, uh, and meet me and bring your school bag mm -hmm. and then I'll... Uh, hand you something you put in your bag but don't walk with me walk on the other side and of he the didn't street. tell you what it was no so i said to my mother oh i'm going to go and uh, and meet my father and mm -hmm. my mother uh, didn't know what mm -hmm. was uh, why i was going there because mm -hmm. she she tended to talk a little yeah <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, well <laughs> so, i was nine years old yeah so i went there and uh, he handed me a some newspaper and there was something inside he said don't open it put it in your bag and walk home but not with me on mm -hmm. the other side and i would get home and go to the shed and there was an old shoe and my fa my father had told me put the stuff in the in the shoe and just don't say anything mm -hmm. just pretend that you're going out and play yeah well i did that a few times and my mother followed me and she realized what I was doing, and she was mad, so she almost threw the... And what was in the bag? A dynam dynamite. Dynamite. So when she found out, she almost threw the shoe, the head of my father. She said, That's With the head. explosive in it? <laughs> so I don't know why they used it for, but... Yeah. So that was the end of my... Uh, Whatever. Your little, Heroism, your little yeah. underground yeah. escapade yeah. as a, as an eight nine year old. So I was disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah. um, you told the for the first time the other day uh, having a, a teacher that was a Nazi sympathizer, and of course, you know people like that uh, probably assume the Germans are going to win. It's going to be good for them. Mm -hmm. So t t tell tell that story again. Okay, well she. Um she was very, very open about uh, her relation with Germans, and mm -hmm. her husband was very involved with them. And uh, it was kind of scary because she would always try to find out things about our families, not, mm -hmm. not my, just my. So as a teacher, asking other, the children, yeah, getting about information. Father, and of course, we never said anything, and I'm sure there were other fathers who were involved in something. So, at the end of the war when uh, the uh, U.S. troops uh, came to our, our village, uh, the Germans were chased out mm -hmm. or killed or kidna uh, 
prison. prison. In prison, yeah. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> one morning the police appeared and uh, came to our classroom and uh, called the, the teacher and then uh, they took her out and put her in a, in a classroom and we knew why. Mm-hmm. And uh, for three days, they kept her in the classroom. Even overnight, she was kept in that classroom under guard. And I don't know why they didn't close the school, but we kept going to school. Today they would, yeah. Yeah. So we would look through the window, and I said, you know, I feel so sorry for her. Yeah. You know, as a child, I was almost 12 then. Yeah. And I felt so sorry for her. Finally, they let her go, and uh, her husband... Uh, was taken prisoner and was sent, I think, to Brussels and uh, spent years and years in, in Yeah, prison. I bet she didn't continue teaching there at the school, oh, did she? Oh, no, yeah. no, no. And she lived with the shame she of, of she what left. she had done. She, she yeah. had oh, she moved, probably moved. Yeah, because the country, probably. Uh, what they did, uh, there were lots of women who had connections with uh, Germans. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the war, they were put in a trunk, they shaved their head, mm-hmm. and uh, they walked them around, they, they drove around the streets. Oh, to uh, shame them. Yeah, to mm-hmm. shame them. And uh, I, I found it hard they were, to see We would that, never do that today to people, you yeah. know, in our, in yeah, our time but, where... you know, people were so angry. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, the desire women, for revenge must have been really well, strong. Well, they did that for money and, yeah. uh, oh, okay. and safety. Yeah, and then, right. And people would throw rotten tomatoes at them. I mean, it was kind of Well, yeah, sad, you can yeah. totally understand that. Yeah. So, Dad, you, you grew up... Um, a lot of Jews lived in in Harlem, Holland, where you where yeah, you grew yeah. up, and you know one of the per, uh, individuals has come out of the war has become well known as Corrie Ten Boom, and yeah. her stories become very popular for hiding Jews. But I remember you saying once that a lot of people were doing this. She just yeah. happened to to raise be raised out of there, had a great story, and in a sense represented. A lot of normal, ordinary people that did this. So your your family had Jews as well. Describe some of those moments and yeah. what that was like. Well, actually, as far as Corrie ten Boom is concerned, uh, I, I went to elementary school just around the corner mm-hmm. from where she lived. It was maybe three, four minutes walk. Mm-hmm. And uh, my my father, the f- uh, food was rationed during mm-hmm. the uh, most of the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, food and, and clothing and things like that. And so you couldn't just go to a, a store and, bu- and buy, uh, say, bread and potatoes and things like that. Mm-hmm. You had to have a rationing card. And you only got so much. With, yeah, with mm-hmm. your money. Uh, but uh, the uh, uh, in order to get the rationing cards, you had to have a, uh, an ID uh, and uh, there was a, a point in the war where you had to get the ID, have your picture taken, and uh, if it was found out that uh, you were a Jewish citizen mm-hmm. in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam or in Harlem, uh, they put uh, the name Jew on your ID card, and also you had to wear a, a Star of David mm-hmm. on, on your coat mm-hmm. with uh, the word Jew written on it. And uh, then uh, the uh, Nazi government uh, decided that uh, big department stores have to put up signs, we don't serve Jews. Goodness. Uh, but, and of course, the, uh, uh, the, at one point, uh, the Jews knew that uh, they were going to take a uh, uh, prisoner and uh, 
uh, and s uh, some of them completely disappeared, and it was later found out what uh, what had happened, happened to them uh, at the Nazi concentration camps, mm -hmm. as they call yeah, them. Yeah, afterwards. Yeah. yeah, and these were people you knew. Some of them you knew, uh, yeah, or went to school with. Yeah. And well, my father worked at the food rationing office, and uh, when he found out about uh, Corrie ten Boom, uh, he he would somehow. Uh, be able to get uh, uh, extra food stamps, uh, uh, ration cards. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how he did it, but mm -hmm. uh, he may have had some sticky fingers there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he would make periodic visits to the Ten Boogs. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> one, uh, one day uh, he went there in order to deliver a supply. And I still remember the date. It mm. was uh, February 29, 1944. Wow, and, so vivid. Uh, so yeah. vivid to you, you well, remember. It, it was a leap year. It was the day okay. of the leap year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, he knew that, uh, that there was always a danger, so he he would hide whatever he was going to, to take there under his undershirt. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, so this was to the Temboom, the clock shop that's yeah, yeah, well known from yeah. Corey Temboom's right. book, The Hiding Place. And, and so he rang the doorbell and the door was opened by a policeman who uh, pointed a gun at him and, uh, and said, come in. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, my, my dad had no choice. Mm -hmm. But then he thought, oh no, they're going to search me. They will find those uh, rationing cards and... I have so these were German policemen, uh, or at least no, Dutch were, sympathizers. Were, well, uh, not necessarily sympathizers, but in order to to keep their job, they had to do what the Nazi authority said. Now, the, uh, I don't want to interrupt the story too much, but so would, would policemen like that, after the war, have gotten in trouble, similar to the teacher? Well, or depends depends how, how badly they did, yeah, okay. how, how obedient they were, let yeah, me put it that yeah. way. But uh, my dad was never searched uh, at, at the Ten Boom's house. He was taken to the police headquarters, mm -hmm. which was just around the corner. And uh, uh, there, uh, they uh, even there they didn't search him. Mm -hmm. So after a while, he said, uh, I, I really have to use a restroom. Mm -hmm. And uh, as he, uh, uh, he was allowed to go to the restroom, he locked the door and uh, he got all the, the ration cards and tore them up and flushed them, flushed them down, down, the down the toilet. <laughs> and you always say? Uh, I always say, I don't, <laughs> I don't think anybody ever relieved it, uh, really, uh, went, used the toilet and was so relieved afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I tell that same thing. I was six years old when I understood the gospel. <laughs> And we were at a conference in Irinjayar, Papua now, where, where we grew up. You were mm. missionaries there. And we were at a, at a conference, and I had understood the gospel for the first time that night. My sister was standing outside the outhouse. We would use outhouses. Yeah, yeah. And I was inside, and I asked my sister, Ruthie, mm. uh, to pray for me. And <laughs> there I, I accepted Christ and mm -hmm. what he had done for me on the cross. And so whenever I tell that story, I use your line that no one was so relieved as I was <laughs> at that time. So. Well, I never heard that before. <laughs> yeah, but then my, my dad was, uh, uh, was taken to a, prisoner, uh, to a prison for political prisoners, mm -hmm. which was close to The Hague, about uh, maybe 30 miles from where we live. Yeah, and and he, had, he spent six weeks there. Yeah, you had a neighbor who was uh, 
had connections and was able to get him out, right? Well, it, the, the neighbor uh, was a born German, mm -hmm. and during the First World War, he had served in the in the German army before the Nazis ever mm -hmm. came up to power, and uh, one of the the uh, sergeants in uh, the the section where he was was Adolf Hitler. Wow! So uh, he knew Hitler personally. personally. Mm -hmm. And that gave him a certain status. He was not a Nazi, mm -hmm. but when he heard that my dad had been imprisoned, he took his authority to go to the Nazi police and ask that, that they look into uh, the fact why, why Mr. Schultz had been arrested. And, and he, he, was, thought, he was released because well, of that. But it took several weeks, yeah. so it so, took six weeks. So uh, people that knew Hitler had a certain identity card or, yeah. or some something yeah, that identified they, them yeah, as yeah, being yeah. Oh, yeah. a friend of Hitler's, yeah. right? Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, those privileges lasted only so long for a lot of people. Um, your family also hid Jews in Yeah, in that your is house. right, because when, when the Tambooms could no longer do it, uh, uh, we, the, 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 the system was this, that a, a Jewish person usually would spend one or two nights at one address and then go to the next one mm -hmm. so that uh, it would not cause any suspicion. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, uh, at, at one case, we had somebody staying with us uh, for, uh, well, two or three weeks, I don't remember exactly, and uh, the uh, the Nazi police, it, it was toward the end of the war, just a couple of months before the end, uh, the Nazi police d d decided to search uh, the whole section of the town where we lived, go from home to home to see if people were hiding there, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, we were in a in a street with houses on both sides, and they went to the other side of the street first, and then went around to blocking before they would come across the street side. to your yeah. side. Yeah, and uh, we had a, a a neighbor not too far from us who went to the same church we did, mm -hmm. so we knew the family quite well. And uh, we were hiding a Jewish family, a, a woman mm -hmm. and her son. And uh, uh, my dad told me to go and ask the lady of the house. Uh, if Across the street, the house that her, had been checked uh, already. After her house had been searched, if she would hide our guests. And uh, she, she knew, of course, how dangerous it mm -hmm. was, but she never hesita hesitated. She uh, said, sure. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Had you been caught, what would have happened to you? Well, it, uh, it could have, it, they could have killed my father. Yeah, and maybe the family arrested as well? Yeah, or, oh yeah. Yeah, well yeah. that's what happened to the Tambooms, obviously. They were all arrested and yeah, yeah, most right. of them died yeah. in prison. Um, Mom, uh, um, set this question up with, with um, a little story. I, I watched The Darkest Hour, a movie about Winston Churchill. Last week, mm -hmm. Elaine and I watched it, just a powerful mm -hmm. movie. And, of course, he was over uh, Prime Minister of England, so he was over the war, you know, Eng England's role in the whole war. And, and the movie did a really good job portraying the unknown. You know, we know what happened, obviously, mm -hmm. so it's when a story's being told, it's, it takes a, a lot of creative work to draw you into the uncertainty, you know, the reality that, um, you know, Britain could be German and, and all of Europe could have been German. What was that like for you? Just you know, Nazis marching up and down your street, uh, not knowing where this was, this was going to go. You mentioned earlier that part of what you did was exciting. 
but what was that yeah. like overall as a well, for you and maybe as your fam for your family? Well, there was there was so, some fear. Well, especially because of my father, the, what he was doing. You know, there was always a chance that they uh, they would find out and mm -hmm. come and arrest him. And uh, uh, at one point, he uh, his group uh, decided to send him to the south of France to work in a German uh, uh, base. Like a manufacturer yeah, plant, okay. Yeah. And with uh, some other men. Mm -hmm. And so... <clears throat> He, he thought it would be interesting, and of course they were not going to work for the Germans, but to try to, to find out what they were doing. To infiltrate. So he was gone for several months, and hmm. for my mother and I, my, fa my brother wasn't born yet. It was a, you know, a, a dark time because we were not getting any letters. No mail was coming through, no hmm. phone calls, nothing. And... Uh, I remember we uh, <clears throat> at church. Uh, we were going to a brethren church, and uh, we asked for prayer. And they were praying for my father, and we were praying for my father also. Mm -hmm. And um, so, one night in the middle of the night, somebody knocked at the door. But usually, we were afraid to answer mm -hmm. because it could be a, a German or somebody. So, but then somebody called Deborah. Deborah. That was my mother's mm -hmm. name. And uh, she looked through the window, and it was my father. <laughs> so very quietly huh. came in, and uh, he had walked at night for days and days and oh days. Oh, my goodness. I never heard the story. And then he told us the story that um, the Germans found out what they were doing, and they were going to be shipped the next day to a German camp. A oh, my goodness. Camp. And uh, somehow, the Lord he says, it's like the Lord opened the door, and he was able to escape, and then he walked uh, at night. It was a mess. You know, yeah. He was starving, and it was dirty and everything. And uh, he came in and went back to work, and life started again with my father home. And for me, you know, I was uh, I was young, and that's when I really learned uh, answer to prayer mm -hmm. as a young girl. I uh, I knew that when we prayed the Lord, here's our prayer, and this was a real miracle. Yeah, very dramatic. Because yeah. uh, three of my cousins were sent to uh, German camps, well, two men, and then one lady, she was in the underground, and they found out and mm -hmm. she was a married woman with children, and they sent her to a camp, and when she came home, she was a mess. She never really recovered wow. from what wow. she went through. So I realized what could have happened to my father. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, later in life when we were overseas and maybe going through difficult times, the Lord had you to remind back. me, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, you know, I, when you pray, I answer. Mm -hmm. Even before you pray, I answer. Yeah. So this really helped me. Yeah, really shaped your about, faith. Yeah. yeah. Tell yeah. your your family were brethren. You you grew up in a in a Christian family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Dad? What was your well, family the, like? Uh, we we were a church-going family. Mm -hmm. uh, I, uh, it was a, a Calvinistic church, and they they would never preach about uh, conversion mm -hmm. as such. Uh, but but uh, there there were uh, living Christians, and they they the, the the good thing I I can still see in it is that people wanted to 
to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Like uh, the the lady who who took our our guests, for instance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> she she was willing to risk her life mm -hmm. because that was the the thing to do. Uh, but uh, I I didn't uh, understand and accept the Lord until uh, much later in mm -hmm. my teens. Uh, when uh, some of my friends um, from high school dragged me along to a mm -hmm. youth conference mm -hmm. uh, in the uh, close to the German border, actually, and there, I, this is several years after uh, the war. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, actually, I had been sick for several years uh, with the tuberculosis as a result of uh, the the last uh, ha the last winter of the the war where mm -hmm. we were. Uh, undernourished and, and oh, so you got TB because of, of lack of yeah, nourishment. Yeah, oh, I yeah, didn't yeah. know that. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. I was severely undernourished uh, mm -hmm. at the end of the war, and uh, so uh, I spent almost two years in bed uh, mm -hmm. recovering from mm -hmm. it. How, how formative were those years for you as you look back on it in terms of your? You know, your what what you can see the best you can see is is the development of your faith and not not necessarily during that time. Mm -hmm. uh, what I, uh, I I I was more uh, enthused by the classical music mm -hmm. I could hear on the radio, and uh, I I improved my my chess playing. Yeah, yeah. Well, those are two things we. <laughs> Yeah, everybody but, knows about you. You're a great chess player and a classical pianist. Okay, <laughs> but, but uh, it it wasn't until uh, I was in my late teens mm -hmm. and I went to this conference that uh, uh, my my life changed completely. And and you're how old? Uh, I was actually uh, 19, mm -hmm. and I was still in high school. I mm -hmm. did not, but because of the years I lost, I didn't graduate from high school. I graduated on, from high school on my 21st birthday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've teased you about that some, yeah. haven't we? Sorry, I yeah. apologize well, for that, giving you a hard time. No, that, that, that's okay. I I always say that that shows my superior intelligence. <laughs> that's a stretch, Dad. I, I don't know if that can. that's proof of superior intelligence, but we'll let you have that if that's given you comfort all these years. Um Okay, so how how did the war uh, t tell us the the moment you found out the war was over? You know, everybody remembers nine eleven where they were. What were you doing the moment you heard, uh, Dad, that the war was over? What was going on? I, I remember uh, we we went outside uh, and stood in our, our street, mm -hmm. and I s still see myself jumping up and down. <laughs> <like that>. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, actually, uh, there was one of of my brothers, uh, uh, I I was the youngest of four brothers, mm -hmm. and uh, they were all in the age where the Nazis would take them and have them work in uh, in uh, German ammunition factories. Mm -hmm. So they they all went in hiding, and uh, uh, one of my brothers uh, was in the south of the Netherlands, uh, below the the Rhine River. Mm -hmm. Uh, when uh, uh, after D-Day, the Allied troops moved into uh, Western Europe, and uh, they occupied the area where he was, mm -hmm. but not the play the uh, uh, other provinces where we were. And mm -hmm. that was actually the hardest time of the war because we went through this time of starvation. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, 
when the war was over, which was May 5, 1944, not 1945, yeah. Uh, I remember that very well. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you do. Uh, I mentioned it a few times before. But, <laughs> but uh, we did not know what had happened to my brother, hmm. uh, who uh, had, had been in hiding uh, in the south of Holland. But uh, we heard that the Canadian troops were uh, moving into our city mm-hmm. uh, in order to uh, occupy it uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and search for Nazis that would remain. Oh wow! Uh, and so my dad and mom and I went downtown to see the parade coming in, and uh, when we came home, uh, we saw a Canadian soldier <clears throat> who was standing on the stepladder. Mm-hmm. Uh, try, <coughs> trying to get into our house, huh. and it turned out to be <laughs> yes, your brother. Oh wow! <laughs> wow. Uh, so, mom, what what uh, what do you remember that last moment? Well, you... we we heard that. Um, uh, well, we has we still had Germans in the town, but then uh, American troops started to come in mm-hmm. while well, we were told mm-hmm. and then we lived on the street with cobblestones you know very yeah. noisy <laughs> and from far far you know far far away we could hear noise of yeah. those uh, uh, whatever they were using jeeps and yeah the, yeah the rumbling rumbling and uh, so they came into our street and they were uh, u.s military oh my goodness and they were giving out chocolate. We haven't had chocolate <laughs> oh for over goodness. four years. Yeah, yeah. And chewing gum. We didn't know what chewing gum was. You had never was. heard of chewing gum I said, until then. what do we do with that? It's American. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and uh, uh, everybody went out and started to dance in the street yeah. and all that. And then I remember I the next day I went to, uh, to my school and uh, we were... You know, they had lots of those uh, U.S. militaries who were roaming around. And there was a tall, huge, tall black soldier. Mm-hmm. And uh, he saw me, and he came and grabbed me and threw me in the oh. air. He showed me a picture of a girl who was maybe my age. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't communicate. Mm-hmm. He didn't speak French. I didn't speak English. And he was probably missing his daughter, oh, you know. Oh, my goodness. And uh, wow. later I thought, this is what's so touching. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wish we, could, we and, had taken a picture of that. Yeah, and who knows what that man had had to go through to yeah. be where he was then, yeah. the, the struggle, the, yeah. you know, seeing a lot of people die. Yeah. And, and then wow. I, right at that <clears throat> time, uh, my brother was born. Mm-hmm. So my mother was in the hospital, and they were still fighting. Mm-hmm. You know, they were still... Uh, Scrimmages uh, and places yeah. where... And, uh, my father joined the U.S. Army. They, Did he? Uh, yeah. They went to a school in the next village, and uh, he worked with them because they were still Germans uh, hiding in the in the woods. I don't know if you remember. I, I remember walk, to walking through those woods, and yeah. you would tell us stories about and, uh, Yeah. So, uh, you know, he, uh, it was risky. Yeah. It was risky yeah. because... And, uh, and then they... Uh, what amazed me is... Uh, how the Belgians, you know, at least in my village, were kind to these Germans. Mm. Their mm. reaction, mm. you know, and uh, they treated them well, they fed wow. them. Of course, the U.S. military were there too. But uh, one thing I remember was a, a terrible picture. They brought a, 
a soldier, a German soldier on a cart. Mm -hmm. He was dead. Huge mm. man with huge, huge feet and mm. then I don't know where they were taking him. And as a child I had that picture yeah. in my mind for so for so long. Yeah. You know? And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I I do too. This can maybe segue us to uh, the years later. But uh, when there was war in the village where where we all lived, and mm -hmm. I remember seeing a Indonesian soldier being carried on a yes. pole. Yeah. Uh, they had been shot yeah. by, yeah, yeah. by the yeah, natives. Yeah, we were in pyramid. Yeah. yeah. So we'll uh, we'll tell that story. Hey, let me pause here just real quickly and tell you about a couple resources. My parents wrote their story in a book that is titled Stone Age Diary, and you can order that on Amazon. And also my dad has two wonderful devo devotionals that are also on Amazon. And one is called A Guide to Holiness, which is a devotional study through the book of Leviticus. The other one is a year-round devotional in the book of Psalms uh, called uh, Psalms in One Year, or Walking Through the Psalms, rather. So love for you to go to our website and look for those resources. Okay, let's go back to that interview now. So, okay, um, the war's over. You're both in your late teens, getting into your 20s. You're, you're, you're in Belgium. Well, um, I'm 12. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm looking ahead, skipping yeah. <laughs> years here. And then you're in Holland. I mean, obviously, you meet somewhere. You end up overseas for nearly 40 years. Uh, you retire in the U.S. People that don't know you are mm -hmm. going to be very interested in uh, how these two uh, distinct worlds merge together. Uh, so, Dad, what? Uh, just kind of briefly share uh, after you came to faith, a sense of call to uh, to service and to ministry, and how you end up in Belgium. You meet Mom. Fill those gaps in for yeah. us. Uh, <clears throat> well, I. Uh... I was in my, my late teens uh, when uh, I, I, uh, there was a, uh, after the war that, that was, when a, a, an American group of Youth for Christ came to my hometown. Mm -hmm. And I had already accepted the Lord at that time to, in this youth uh, retreat. Uh, but uh, during the campaign, the, this youth, uh, uh, Youth for Christ team had in my hometown in the, under a tent. I worked there together uh, to uh, as as a young Christian to invite people to attend. Mm. And uh, during that meeting, I felt that the Lord uh, wanted me to go into full time service. Mm. And so I remember, and I did not just raise my hand, mm. but I stood on that on the on the. On the bench to indicate that <laughs> you're really going to make sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you were certain of it, and others were as well. Yeah, what they, was your What was the context? I mean, did you know people that were going into ministry? Uh, you know, I mean, that that must have been kind of a foreign idea to well, you. Well, i i had I had heard about missionaries, okay. and uh, uh, i uh, I had already decided uh, that I wanted to serve the Lord, mm -hmm. but uh, then I I wasn't. Uh, the idea about going overseas as a missionary—that—that—that that, that is what actually happened. There. Yeah, that, but you weren't thinking that at that yeah. point. You told your dad about wanting to go to Bible school, right? Yeah, and what and, was his reaction? And he said, "No, you can't." Okay. And you were uh, how old at this time? I, I was 21. I mm -hmm. had just graduated from high school, and uh, he said, we, "We need the money." Okay. And, and that was a, a reasonable yeah, thing, yeah. of course. Uh, so uh, I found a job uh, uh, in a bank in Amsterdam. I had to 
go by train every mm-hmm. day about 15 from minutes. Harlem yeah mm-hmm. from Harlem uh, and uh, I, I worked there uh, for about a year and a half when first my mother passed away uh, in uh, 1952 September 1952 and my father appeared to be in good health at that time mm-hmm. but uh, uh, just a few weeks afterwards he got sick and it turned out that he had uh, terminal lung cancer mm-hmm. and uh, he passed away in January 1953 yeah and uh, your mom had already passed yeah by then she had as well. passed away yeah. in September and he passed away in January yeah, I remember you uh, two weeks ago we were talking about how your no one told your dad that he had cancer that yeah. he was just suffering yeah, from right. a cold and, yeah they, they, they didn't talk about yeah things like that. yeah so so you end up in Brussels Bible Institute yeah well in Brussels uh, yes I uh, actually uh, I uh, there was a, 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 a Dutchman who had joined the Christian and Missionary Alliance uh, and uh, he uh, tried to go back to Indonesia where he had worked uh, but he had spent years in the Japanese concentration camp mm-hmm. during the Second World War and his health was ruined. Mm-hmm. He tried to go back and he, uh, he had to he only spent a few weeks in Indonesia and then had to come home again. And so the Alliance, I'd never heard of the Alliance, but mm-hmm. the Alliance said, no, you're staying in the, you're staying at As home. There's a Christian missionary Alliance. Yeah. So, so he, he started, he was a graduate of the Brussels Bible Institute. Oh, okay. That was the connection. Yeah. And uh, so <laughs> I, I got interested in what he was saying. And after my parents had passed away, uh, I uh, started looking for Bible training and ended up in, uh, in I, I went to Brussels for a visit and I liked what I saw mm-hmm. and they said, yeah, well, we'll take you. I didn't have any money to pay uh, tuition or anything mm-hmm. like that, but they, uh, they said that they would find a job for me to work and then give me some credit that mm-hmm. I could pay off later. Was, was there a sense of the, the man that had had to come home because of his health that had been a missionary there? Was there a sense of, of wanting to, I mean, I don't want to be over dramatic with this, but I'm just curious, was there a sense of, of wanting to take his place, that there was a, a void there? And... No, not necessarily for mm-hmm. me, but I only found this out quite a few years later. That uh, when he, when the mission, the Christian Missionary Alliance told him he had to stay home, he prayed and he said, "Lord, I uh, will only stay <coughs> stay home if you send ten people in oh, my wow. place." Oh wow! My goodness. And uh, hmm. uh, actually, when I tell the story, I say something went wrong in the in the uh, countdown because. Uh, when he passed away, 20 people went. <laughs> 20 people went. <laughs> well, God blesses by doubling sometimes, yeah. doesn't he? Wow, wow. So it uh, it was through him, actually, that I got to Brussels and then... Mm-hmm. Okay, then yeah. So, the next part of the story. So, Mom, you're in Belgium, grew up in a Christian home. Where were, what were those early stirrings to also well, go into I was 14, we had... Um, Youth for Christ uh, tent meeting oh, in as our well. village. As yes. well. Oh my goodness. Yeah, a man from Switzerland, and um, so I thought the Lord was calling me, and I said, uh, "Belgium is a needy country, so mm-hmm. that's where I want to stay. I don't okay. want to go anywhere else. I want to uh, stay in Belgium." Mm-hmm. 
Well, the Lord didn't say anything. <laughs> but when uh, I was in Bible school, we were in a, a meeting. Uh, Dad was there too. And uh, the speaker had an altar call. And uh, I remember I uh, told the Lord <clears throat> I uh, would go where you would send me. You know? mm -hmm. And I say, but not in a cold country. <laughs> you definitely did not end up going to a cold I country. And then I said, I don't want to go as a single lady. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very interesting. There was a, a lady who was in the meeting, and she probably knew I was struggling or something, and she started praying for me. Mm. And uh, so finally I say, I gave up. I said, okay, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever. Mm. And uh, during that time, there were uh, missionaries going to Africa, to Belgian Congo, mm -hmm. and there was a, a family with the CME, and um, they asked me to go and live with them so I could help them with uh, French. And it's the first time I heard about the CME. And they got me interested. They told me all about the CME. And they say, oh, you should apply with the CME. Yeah, Christian Missionary Alliance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's where I ended up. Yeah, but yeah. Not, not knowing yeah. that we would get married. And <clears throat> yeah, so you knew each other together. in college, uh, in the Bible school. Yeah, we knew and each other. You were was, the only... We only had 30 students. Yeah, weren't so you the only girl in the school? Well, there was another girl, yeah. a Dutch girl, okay. for a while. Yeah. Okay. And then a, a secretary or something. Yeah, so, so you were engaged to someone for yeah, a while. Yeah. And what happened there and how well, did you both meet? Well, he, uh, we broke up and then... Mm. Uh, some oh I don't know how much longer oh, later more than a year later oh, yeah, okay. I don't know I'm not sure yeah, yeah. but uh, when uh, when we broke up I was uh, allowed to stay in the in the dorm because I had to live outside the school because my fiance was living there so I went back okay. in the dorm and then uh, we knew each other because we had to do home. Uh, work in the kitchen mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. two hours a day or so. So sometimes we were, you know, together. And mm -hmm. then he uh, got interested in me. And yeah, and, uh, Dad, I, you, I love the way you tell that story. What? Uh, and also, uh, the, the the school was uh, had classes in in Dutch mm -hmm. and in French, uh, and they they, they, uh, they actually there were two sections. Uh, okay. And I started. It was a three year course. I, I did my first two years in Dutch, and then I thought this is the chance of my life to improve my my language. Yeah, because uh, you already knew French from I, I knew from French from school. high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and English. Uh, and and English and uh, and German. German four languages already by this yeah. time. So uh, I, I asked if uh, I could switch from the Dutch section to the French in order to improve my French. I had mm -hmm. no other. Ideas at that time. <laughs> no ulterior motive. Uh, no, no re really. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, as a matter of fact, I had prayed and I said, Lord, uh, uh, if you want me to stay single for the rest of my life, I accept that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Lord must have winked at that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, nobody had ever switched before. Mm -hmm. I was the first mm -hmm. one ever to do that. But they said, yeah, sure. And so. Uh, I got uh, into the same class where uh, your mom was uh, mm -hmm. sitting, and uh, we we did uh, somehow uh, get into some kind of a relationship. Well, I'll tell it's a great story. I mean, how did how did you uh, talk about getting married? And because it was it was quite different from the usual romance story. Well, we went to the 
he worked in the library. Okay. And then uh, sometimes I would go to look for a book. Mm -hmm. we're not, we were not allowed to date. Yeah, we were oh, not allowed okay. to date. So one day he said, uh, uh, I, has the Lord called you to go and work in the area of Jaya? No, mm -hmm. in, in overseas. overseas. Just overseas, generally. Overseas, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, I said, yes, but I think you mentioned uh, Papua, Papua yeah. which was uh, West Tyrian. Mm -hmm. Dutch, Dutch New Guinea. Dutch New Guinea, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, well, I, I didn't answer. I wait, made him wait for three days. <laughs> and then, and then uh, I said, okay. So we, uh, I went, we had to go to the director of the school mm -hmm. and uh, tell him. And it was the end of my studies, anyhow. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, I think I graduated three months before he did. Okay. And uh, and it was unusual because Dutch people and Belgian people don't get along. Mm -hmm. We make fun of each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Alderoid brought a Belgian and a Dutch together, which, uh, you know, I think it shocked my parents, but mm -hmm. uh, they fell in love with mm -hmm. him. They liked him. Mm -hmm. So there was no problem. Yeah. So, uh, Dad, what happened? Uh, you, you got engaged and... Be, began making plans to go overseas pretty pretty quickly, right? Uh, yeah, I, actually, uh, I applied to, uh, at this uh, the Christian and Missionary Alliance in Holland through this this uh, man who had mm -hmm. been told to stay home, and uh, his answer was, uh, "We don't send single missionaries." Mm -hmm. there. <laughs> single men, sing, single sing, men, single men yeah. there. Yeah, right. And uh, so I, I said, Lord, are you trying to tell me something? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, so th that I, then I, I, uh, I told him that he had to show me who he had in mind. Mm -hmm. And uh, evidently he clearly pointed me to this particular mm -hmm. lady. Mm -hmm. And so when I, I asked her, I, I, did not say, I, I did not ask her, uh, will you marry me? I said, has the Lord ever called you into missionary work? <laughs> and when she said yes, I s said, well, how about doing it together? And you weren't dating or? No, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but we knew each other well. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. A small school. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that gives strength to marriage when the, the basis is a call to missions. And, yeah. of course, you fell in love in, in the process of all that. But, I hope. But what's I hope this wasn't just a marriage of no. convenience. But what's interesting is that both. Uh, <laughs> it's both. we graduated in May. Mm -hmm. You graduated in May. Well, in May. Yeah, yeah. Let's say May. And, uh, so we were planning probably to stay home for two two years. Mm -hmm. That was the arrangement yeah. that you had to have a two year yeah. practical work assignment. Right. Okay. And then uh, that was in July. He gets a phone call and he said, uh, we want you to leave on the ship that leaves in September. And you're not even married Dutch yet. Guinea. He says, well, we're not even married. And the voice says, well, get married. Get married. <laughs> so we got married in September 57. You were going to get married in December. No, no, we were not going to we two, two, oh, two years. Two. Oh, okay. We were okay. going to get married somewhere in those two years. Okay, gotcha. So we left in September. Well, we got married in September and left in December. So December graduated 1st. in 57, got married 57, left in 57. So. <laughs> and so you, you were in, again, for people that don't know, uh, Papua is the large island over Australia. You were on the west side, belongs to. 
now belongs to Indonesia. It's yeah. called Papua. Was Irian Jaya. Was West Irian. Was uh, Dutch New Guinea okay. when you were there. It was under Holland's occupation. Yeah. Um, and you served there 38, 39 yeah, 38, years. 38, yeah. Um, a good bit of that in the, in the mountains and then on the coast. Don't want to get into all of that. Um, you know, in, in this podcast, I, I talked to a lot of people about hardships in ministry and um, obviously those first years uh, had to have been hard for you. What are, as you look back, what were some of the hardest things about uh, your first years there and as missionaries in Papua? Uh, well, the, uh, we had the, the problem that we, we had to, to learn the, the uh, tribal uh, language, mm-hmm. which was rather complicated. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, we were sent to a, a village uh, in uh, in the mountains of uh, what was then Dutch New Guinea, uh, at uh, uh, in a place where the, uh, at an altitude of over five thousand feet, mm-hmm. uh, there are three lakes in the mountains, mm-hmm. and uh, we were sent to one of the larger stations there uh, for uh, the purpose to uh, study the language. And the, the 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 missionaries uh, we uh, in who in the area where we lived we just our house was just across from where they lived. Mm-hmm. They had a little boy about ten years old, twelve or so, Kenny, mm-hmm. uh, who spoke the language fluent. And mm-hmm. here I, as an as an adult, I spoke English, and yeah. <laughs> that was that was about it. That was very embarrassing. Mm-hmm. But then. Uh, I, I love languages, and it uh, it helped uh, a little. But the uh, one of the problems was that I had a tribal language helper, mm-hmm. and uh, th- they thought it would be impolite to correct somebody, mm-hmm. uh, uh, to 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 correct a white person, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so I didn't get too much help there. Mm-hmm. But uh, then uh, somehow I think I picked it up. Uh, uh, yeah, you end up speaking it quite fluently and Indonesian later. Yeah. Uh, so you you speak six languages fluently, and mm-hmm. you speak five and a half, Mom, <laughs> four fluently. Well, uh, I had to learn English when I went to to the mission. To the mission. Yeah. Field. Wow. That's yeah. Those those are things we don't think about. That must so have been so hard. So my lessons were yeah. English, yeah. tribal language. Yeah. So I had to learn two yeah. at the same yeah. time. Yeah. 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 Uh, actually. The, the name of the tribal language, if you translate it literally, is human speech. Mm. Mamana. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just want to kind of jump to some of the last questions I want to ask here. A very personal one to me. Um, of course, a, a big, we were all born in that village that you were talking about, yeah. all four of us. Uh, sent off to boarding school at the age of six. Mm. Uh, that must have been extremely hard for yes, you to, to do that. That was um, the hardest thing. It must have been the hardest thing. And um, I, I had, um, of course you know this, uh, severe depression in sixth grade mm-hmm. and had to come home because of that and left the boarding school, um, went to Australia for a couple months for... Uh, treatment, psychiatric treatment, end up coming back to the village. I'm just kind of filling in the, the context here for my question. And, um, and then, uh, you know, we end up have, ended up in the States, which is how we all ended up in the States because mm-hmm. we weren't American, we were Dutch. 
Uh, but I, I'm just uh, again, I, we we haven't talked a lot about um, what this was like for you. But um, what what was that like for you? Just seeing me go through that and uh, the uncertainty, the 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 pressure, you know, in terms of ministry and your. Uh, your burden for what I was going through. Mom, what, what was that like for you? Well, um, to me it was a, a dark time because mm-hmm. I don't know, I didn't know how to deal with somebody with depression mm-hmm. and especially my son. And you're and initially you're hearing this from a distance, the school's calling, telling you that uh, I'm struggling and... Well, the, the problem, we did not know you were having problems. Yeah. And uh, I'm not blaming the school. There was no understanding about depression at the time, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it was quite and, foreign. And, uh, yeah. So it's only missionaries came from outside, realized you were having problems, not just being mm-hmm. homesick. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how we heard about it. Mm-hmm. And then we, we brought you home. And then you had to go to Australia with uh, dad and I had to stay in Santani at the, at the MK school because JP was going to graduate mm-hmm. and Vivian was there and Ruthie was in Penang mm-hmm. and uh, there was you know little, little communication between Australia and uh, and Santani mm-hmm. so you yeah know, there was just a no email back worrying, then hard to phone and, and, uh, wow yeah so you have no idea what was really going yeah, on during those uh, months and uh, you know hard time sleeping mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. so, such a I don't know it was a dark I'd go to bed and uh, and just wanted to go to sleep and you know not mm-hmm. wake up uh, mm-hmm. in a way mm-hmm. and um, one day that was later uh, dad said, uh, well, dad was praying and he said he was praising the Lord uh, because of your sickness, mm-hmm. not because, mm-hmm. but in spite. In, in it, in it. And uh, it didn't make sense to mm-hmm. me because I knew how to praise the Lord, not, not for bad things. Mm-hmm. So he said, you should uh, uh, thank the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I said, I can't do it. Well, he kept nagging, what not nagging. <laughs> No, usually it's the wife that nags. <laughs> no, no reason. So finally I thought, well, let me try this, and mm. I did. Wow. And uh, it's like the Lord took this burden off my Just shoulder. Gave you, gave you mean, a piece about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the sadness was, was still sure. there. And, uh, yeah, the concern for yeah. me. And, and uh, when, of course, you know that uh, everything that happened later uh, following your sickness and are leaving the field. And for me, it was never a problem to, to leave. I would have left right away with you mm-hmm. and dad. But uh, Kebo was your place. Mm-hmm. You felt safe. That's in, the village in, where we yeah, where we're You grew felt up. safe mm-hmm. and we, uh, so we felt that we should, we should stay there to a certain point. Well, after a certain point, we realized that uh, you know, you need. Yeah, more, I wasn't quite help. coming out of it fully. There yeah, were still I mean, concerns. you were okay. You know, mm-hmm. having fun with village kids and all yeah. that, and uh, so it's when we met a psychologist. We were on vacation in Santani at the MK school, and uh, he suggested us for us to go to the states. Oh, that's how that happened. Okay. And then he hmm. uh, he said, "Oh, we know uh, a psychiatrist who goes to uh, First Alliance Church in Atlanta, Georgia." Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, write to the pastor and ask. We wrote Pastor Sandel. We got a letter back right away. He says, come, we'll have a house for you. 
and this doctor will uh, hmm. help your son free of charge. And we have a Christian school, your ch three children can uh, go to school. And uh, I don't know, the Lord worked this out because worked this out because Ruthie was going to college. She would have traveled by herself. Yeah, our oldest, uh, so oldest sibling. So we, uh, we arrived, and two days later, after we arrived in Atlanta, we took her to college. She cried all night. Mm -hmm. And the house mother called, and she said, she's not ready for this. Mm -hmm. Take her home. We can keep her I remember that. Mm -hmm. And I said, what if we had sent her alone? What would have happened to her? If you were still on the field, yeah. and she would come. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, you know how the Lord worked? Things oh, out. just a, a multiple things and, that and, we look back. And, and I'm oh, not yeah. going to say you were the victim of it, the mm -hmm. cause of it, but, you know, the Lord used I was a that. catalyst. <laughs> and, you know, it's things I don't yeah. understand, but, you know, good things come out of bad things. Always, things. always, yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm always amazed the way the Lord yeah. worked things well, it's out. Well, it's interesting to hear your perspective particularly the emotion that you're describing because one of the natures of depression is is uh, you're very selfish mm -hmm. and so you don't think about how it's affecting others yeah. and it's been interesting to me lately to ask more people that were close to me you know what was that like for you and yeah. so I, I really appreciate well, it's, uh, it's hard and, yeah. and people at the time did not understand depression mm -hmm. it was a spiritual thing which yeah is yeah not. yeah but to make sure you know that there was never a problem for us to leave uh, our work mm -hmm. because you were. I'm glad you're telling me that, you Mom, because I've really important. struggled about that all these years. You were more important <laughs> than our work. I'm you know? I, you've, you've made that very and, clear. Yeah, yeah and there no, was no, no doubt. I mean, we were sad to yeah. leave, but uh, was yeah, no, and, and you, no problem. You've been an example to, to us, uh, your kids, in that, uh, always putting family first. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, uh, you know, I've had to apply that in my own, you yeah. know, the situation with my kids having yeah. cancer and Elaine having cancer. And you modeled that. I mean, that was an important, because uh, we, we know too many stories of of missionaries who uh, did not uh, relinquish or even let go for a season their ministry for their sake of their kids. And the yeah. outcome in a lot of cases has not been good. Yeah. So hopefully this can be an encouragement. I talk a lot to pastors about just always making sure you're, your kids uh, you come first. I always tell the story. It's kind of a funny story of a pastor that I talked to uh, who shared that when he was growing up, his dad was a pastor. And whenever they would go on vacation, uh, the dad would take a separate car in case he had to come home for hospital yeah. visits. And and that this, this young guy still struggles with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the first story he told me. And yeah. it's to find... Uh, his history, but it, it, but it also, you know, he's determined to not be like that. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, Dad, as you as you look back over that, I mean, Mom has shared her her perspective, what that was like for her. What about for you? Uh, well, I I felt that it was actually like uh, like losing a child uh, through death, mm -hmm. and, wow. and in a. It may be strange to say that in a way worse mm -hmm. than than that. Yeah, because uh, th that it, if there is the complete separation, you you deal with it eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, this this was the hardest thing that ever happened. Well, emotional sickness is is uh, there. There's it's agonizing to see someone going through that yeah. because it's emotional. Yeah, you know, someone's broken a leg. You know, yeah, you see, but, you can see it. It's being healed. It's being mended. Yeah. yeah. 
you you know what you know what the treatment is, but mm-hmm. when there's an emotional illness, it's not that uh, that clear cut. On, yeah. on no, how, you feel uh, helpless. You, there you is know, a helplessness, yeah. but again, what's intriguing to me because depression is by nature very selfish. Mm. You're not aware of how it's affecting other people. Yeah, well. Um, so you are now. <laughs> yeah, very, very aware. But the ama- again, the amazing thing is, is those those series of events, uh, you know, related to my depression, led us to the states. Hmm. Uh, there's no way we would have ever have had the chance. I mean, we we all four of us grew up in an American uh, uh, academic context. Yeah. And uh, but we would have had to probably go back to Europe. It That's might have right. been difficult yep. to come yep. to the states. And uh, I mean, until I married Elaine, um, if I had not married her during college and I had graduated college, hmm. and I only thought of this recently that I I probably would have had to go to Holland and, and yeah. be conscripted into the military there yeah, because I was right. a Dutch citizen. And uh, I don't know if I could have handled that too well. <laughs> so the Lord spared us of, of that hardship. Well, they, they wouldn't have been able to handle it either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> nice one, Dad. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, you've been here since '96. You've been retired. Uh, you're both very healthy. Late '80s. '95. '90 since '95. Uh, yeah. You're not '95. It was 1995. No. Just want to clarify that. <laughs> Um, so, uh, great legacy, and we have the privilege of living in Tacoa uh, near you. And um, so, anything else you want to you want to add? Uh, you know, maybe as you look back over these years, uh, years of ministry, uh, how would you describe it? How would you sum it up in in a in a sentence or two? Well, uh, one word is uh, that describes it all is amazement. Mm. Uh, I, I somehow I still see myself as the, the little kid on the street in Harlem where I was born mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I, I, I I don't think I had the idea that I would never uh, get into anything important mm-hmm. or so mm-hmm. but uh, the, the fact that uh, I turned my life over to the Lord and uh, what he did with it uh, is is beyond my comprehension. Yeah, wow, wow. So as you look back, amazement is the word. How about you, Mom? Well, what amazes me is that he, he plucked me out of a little village, you know, <laughs> a village girl, and sent me the other side of the world and used me. Yeah. And uh, I had Bible school, not, not high education, mm-hmm. and... Uh, the Lord still used me, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, maybe I never did great, great things. I taught Bible school, but uh, uh, I'm amazed how the Lord used me. Yeah, well, you and, were faithful, uh, and that's... And, uh, yeah. Well, um, thank you for being great parents, and uh, thank you for... We, we've talked for over an hour, which yeah. is going to be one of the longest podcasts, and this is great for our family, uh, for posterity reasons. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dad, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Yeah, you. Uh, but one yeah. amazing thing yeah. is that uh, I we knew nothing mm-hmm. about uh, uh, medical help. Yeah. Uh, and the Lord put us in a situation where we were the only source of medication mm-hmm. to the people. Uh, I had had one or two shots of penicillin myself. I'd never given a shot in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Dutch doctor passed through the village where we were and left a syringe <laughs> with me and said, well, you take this and give this man a, a, 
a, an injection every two weeks or something like wow. that. Uh, and I, I, I knew that he and I prayed the hardest uh, mm -hmm. and, and the Lord saw us through. And uh, the, the thing that the Lord called us to think we had no idea that uh, we would ever have to do that. Yeah, you did more than a lot of nurses would do. Uh, in fact, whenever we have medical questions, we call you because you both have had so much experience. Yeah, I remember as a kid standing. Yeah, I remember sitting at the clinic, standing at the clinic, handing out medicine to mm -hmm. yeah. uh, to the nationals there. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you to do something on the spot. We're going to walk over to the piano, and I'm going to carry the mic with me, and I want you to play whatever comes to your mind. So I'm picking up the microphone here. And uh, we're going to need to pick up the newspaper off the chair. And I am doing that with my foot, pulling back the stool, just to give you a vision. You can wear your hat, wear the white hat with Mickey Mouse on there. So this is, again, for posterity reasons. Well, let me not play the whole thing. No, no, I, I think uh, we don't want to lose our two listeners. <laughs> gentlemen he still has a good touch <laughs> very good pianos out of tune okay hey mom and dad thank you so much uh, you guys did a great job in thank this you. interview love you both very much love you too Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to today's Before You Quit podcast. If you have any comments or questions about anything we've talked about today on Before You Quit, you can email me at mitchbeforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. Mm -hmm.